0: Welcome to the Friday Night Ohio podcast, powered by the Kent Repository and Maslin Independent. I'm Repository staff writer Cliff Hickman, and I'm here today with independent sports writer Chris Easterling. How are you doing today, Chris?
1: I'm doing great, Cliff. You know, we were just talking off air just uh, sort of amazed it's week five of the football season. In, in number, but in, in, in feel, it's almost like it's week nine. I mean, just this season seems to have, uh, come and gone awfully
0: quick it has really flown by it's it's hard to believe next week we're going to be talking about the the final regular season game at least in theory for teams at least heading into the the tournament there may be some games after there's some possibilities for that but as far as planned games i think uh next week is it for some teams
1: yeah, I mean, I know, you know, if you're, you're a team that – and we've got several in, in in our area, I think. kind of fancy themselves as teams that can make a, a decent run in the playoffs, win a couple of games. I'm not sure after you get done with your playoff run, you know, I know you're – you know, the, the kids – you know, you always want the kids to be space and everything, but I, I don't know how much, you know, how many games you're going to want to play regular season-wise once your playoff run is done. But, uh, you know, we'll, I guess
0: we'll see. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. You'll want to keep it on FridayNightOhio.com. I think you'll probably see some announcements. Uh, like we were talking off air, it's kind of like baseball. You might see some games just being picked up here or there. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. All right. And one game, though, we're keeping an eye on in Week 5, uh, one I'm sure you're really familiar with. We have St. Ignatius at Maslin. What a matchup that is. Yeah, you know,
1: I'm I, 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 personally speaking, I'm happy to see this game, even if it is just for one year. Because, you know, this is always, you know, from 2000 to 2009, these teams played every year. Uh, at least once they played multiple times. I know Ignatius got the best of them pretty much every time, but you know it's just you know it's the kind of game you you, you hope to see when you're you talking about two of the most arguably two of the three most legendary po- football programs in ohio really you know i mean with what Maslin and st ignatius have done through the over the decades and you know chuck kyle just i mean you know you talk about a coach who's probably on the the mount if you have a mount rushmore of high school football coaches in uh in ohio chuck kyle's probably up there obviously with paul brown and and, and you know a couple others but uh yeah, this uh this this game's really fascinating to me because Ignatius got a late start to the season, even later than a lot of teams, because they didn't hold their first padded practice until August twenty ninth, which was the you know, about the same time that pretty much everybody else was, was finishing up week one games. So they uh you know, they're a little behind the eight balls. This is this will be their start game. Uh Uh, I guess sort of an interesting twist. Their first two opponents, Bishop Sycamore, who they beat two weeks ago, and and St. Edward, who uh, they lost to last week, 17-0, were were two opponents that Massillon also played. So uh, it's sort of a, you know, in in terms of, for both teams, I would imagine getting ready for this game, you know, at least when you're, you're comparing them to what you're seeing on film, you have some reference because you, you've obviously seen them, but you know it, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Uh, turnovers have been really the key last week for both of these teams. Ignatius turns the all over five times, four of them in the first half. Loses seventeen nothing to uh, to Edge, and then Naslin. You know, it's 7 3 against ben, a really, really good Benedictine team. And Benedictine's driving, uh, they're, they're at the Maslin 10 in the third quarter. And Isaiah Clark comes up with the first of three consecutive, three interceptions in a uh, in, in a four possession span for Maslin. And uh, they convert all three of those turnovers into touchdowns, turn a 7 3 game into a 28 10, uh, 10 win. So, you know, they've really, uh, you know, I think that's going to be, that's always the key in any game, but especially when you get two kind of heavyweight, heavyweight fighters, uh, heavyweight programs like this uh, squaring up, I, I think that's always a very, very critical stat uh, to pay attention to.
0: Absolutely. Those are the type of secondary numbers I think any team would love to have going into a game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, Ignatius, you know, through the years, I mean, I, I think in recent years, they've sort of been victim of their own previous success. I think we hold, you know, we view what we see out of Ignatius in 2018, 2019, 2020, through remember, for those of us who remember what they were in the 90s, especially when... They were they were just a machine. I mean, they 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 looked like a small college team and they played like one. And, and so uh, this is you know this is talking to Chuck Kyle this week. You know, he he likes this football team, but you know he admits that it's just it, it, it's getting reps. It's it's not just getting reps on on on, on game night, but it's. Getting those practice reps the next week to correct and build off of what you did the week before, and and that's where he feels like you know they're significantly behind in some regards compared to uh, to a lot of their opponents.
0: Absolutely. That's got to be tough when everyone's preparing to play their first game and you've just started practice. That's going to be a little difficult to recover from no matter how much lead time you have. Those are a lot of reps you you just can't get back.
1: Yeah, I mean and, and I mean we've seen it at all levels of, of football this year. You know, it was, you know, the that Navy-BYU game a few weeks ago, that, you know, or Navy, you know, he didn't they didn't do much hitting in practice, hardly any hitting in practice and it showed them their performance you know these teams you know they're just everybody it doesn't even the experienced ones you know it's still a matter of you know getting back into rhythm and and getting back into you know that that flow that you normally get in a regular season. The problem is like we said before, this regular season is so short. And there's no way to really accelerate the process. You know, you, you, you can talk about, you know, well, it feels like it's week nine. Well, yeah, but it's still only week five in real time. And, and, and that makes it tough to to try to match the where you are as a in, in your development to where you are on the schedule.
0: Absolutely. There's no simulation for, you know, getting to the end of October by week five of a shortened season. No, there isn't. All right, and we're going to look at another big game in the independent area. Jackson at Perry. How about the Panthers coming off a huge win over McKinley last Saturday night? That was a thrilling game.
1: That was – that is uh, – and I think uh, maybe, maybe you, you can think of another one. To me, that's the signature win in Stark County this uh, this year to date. Because you know, I came into this season. I think, like a lot of people, thinking McKinley. no disrespect to the other other teams in the in the federal league. I thought McKinley was the last in the league. I thought McKinley was the team that you were going to have to beat in order to to uh, to win the league. And you know, you just looked at McKinley's roster and 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 not just the Division One college kids on the roster, but 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 some of the other kids, you know, there's guys like Manny Powell, who I think probably could very well become a Division One college player. You know, him being only a junior. Um, but you, you just look at this Perry team, and all you know, all season since the start of preseason, Keith Wakefield's talked about how much he liked this the athleticism and the experience he had, both at his skill spots on offense and in the in the back seven of his defense. And that really showed itself, you know, against McKinley. Uh, you know, the best player on the field was Josh Lemon. I mean, something close to 300 yards rushing, if I can uh, remember the stats right. You know, Don Venus adding some big runs. You know, the, the way the secondary, McKinley got some plays. But, but you know, guys like Devontae Armstrong and in, in, uh LePaneer and Luke Laubacher, uh, you know, Caden Williams, all in that back seven. The way they played, um, Don Venus also back there. I, I should I should probably mention him as well. You know, they're just you know. When I talked to Jackson coach Tim Butts this this week, that's the thing he said about Perry. He's like, we always we got this cliched, you know. Talking point when it comes to Perry is toughness and physicality, and he goes, "That's true. That's absolutely their mindset." But he goes, "Man, that this is a really, really athletic football team uh, that Perry has this year. Which you know, you you look at, which they showed against McKinley, which now you know that the, the fascinating. I, here's your here's your Chris's stupid stat of the of the week." <laughs> Perry has now won six out of the last seven against McKinley. They're like the Bulldogs kryptonite. But now Perry gets to see their own kryptonite this week because Jackson's won three of the last four against Perry in this series. And, and, you know, I know talking to Keith Wakefield, he always, you know, this is, you know, he always talks up this Jackson team. You know, he looks at the size they have up front, the athleticism they have, not just at, at the line of scrimmage, but but again at the skill position and in the back seven and he goes, their ability to get off blocks has made them a very difficult team to to play against. Even with, you know, Perry's winky offense. He said Jackson just, you know, they get off blocks and they defend Perry as well as anybody has, you know, by and large, who who plays Perry regularly
0: absolutely that's gonna that's a really interesting trend and a game i think a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on this friday and another big game in the independent coverage area the Fairless falcons they uh, traveled down to northwest the indians just on a massive roll this season probably one not probably they're one of the best teams in the area in my opinion
1: Yeah, they've they've really, really played well. I I think from the beginning of the season, you know, those that that kind of look at the pack have sort of eyed this game as as arguably the, the biggest game of the year in the pack because when you looked at what Fairless had coming back in, you know, seven or eight three years, multi three year starters, uh, and then you looked at, at Northwest with, you know, John DeBarco coming in and, and the the talent and the experience they had coming back, you know, it, it sort of seemed like there was a chance of a potential collision course of of a couple of four or no teams playing. Fairless, you know, obviously has been dealing with entry injury to Hunter Campbell. They're outstanding running back in safety the last couple of weeks. I know A.J. Sarbaugh, Fairless' coach, wasn't uh wasn't sure and, and wasn't willing to commit one way or the other in terms of uh of Campbell's uh you know ability to play this week. But uh, regardless, you know, these teams are, they they tripped up a couple of weeks ago at Manchester. But both these teams, you know, coming off of, you know, trial I thought careless played arguably their best game of the season last week in beating uh try away 38 nothing. You know I thought Northwest probably played, uh, I think if you ask John DeMarco, maybe not their cleanest game. It might have actually probably have been, when you look at statistically... You know, the, the numbers that Jordan Nick had been putting up the first three weeks weren't necessarily there, but they got a lot of turnovers. They created a lot of opportunities for them, and they cashed in those opportunities. Brady Simone blocks a punt. Cooper Ramsey returns a fumble for a touchdown. You know, they're down 7 nothing after giving up a pick-six, and it's 28-7 by halftime. And, and they, they rolled to a forty nine seven win. So to set up this game, which is sort of the de facto Pac seven championship game, Fairless needs to win to uh, to give itself a shot at its first league title of any kind since nineteen seventy nine, when then they were, they were in the All Ohio League. Northwest, meanwhile, uh, they win. They, for all intents and purposes, I think, clinch. The Pack's uh, at least a share uh, of the Pack Seven title, their first since they get, joined the league in '17, and their first league title of any type since uh, 2007 when they were in the old Northeastern Buckeye Conference. So, a lot on the line, and, and I think for both of you also just kind of. You know, getting into that gear because like you said, we said a lot, you know, the playoffs are only two weeks away, you know, uh, theoretically, depending on how the brackets uh, shake out when they're announced next Thursday. But, uh, you know, the, these are two teams I expect they're in the same region, Division 4, uh, Region 13. So I, I'm not convinced we couldn't see this matchup again down the road uh, in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. And one thing when you talk about Northwest, I saw them earlier this season on film when I was uh, doing some work from home and that defense is really, really special. We always talk about the offensive firepower they have, but you mentioned some of the turnovers they create. I think they're just a really well-rounded team.
1: They are. You know, something that, you know, I talked to uh, John DeMarco and uh, defensive coordinator Travis Stroh about this during the the preseason. That's the side of the football. They've, they've filled in some spots. They've obviously had to change some, some players around because of graduation and whatnot. But that said, the coaching staff on that side are, are holdovers from a year ago. So while the, the offensive side was, you know, installing, learning a new system and schemes. That defense has uh, has really been, you know, sort of, you know, just kind of picking up what it, you know, what it knew before. So again, we talked continuity in this in, in this uh, this weird season, and, and and there you saw it with what uh, what the Indians have been able to do. Uh, you know, they created five turnovers last week. You know, they played really good defense the week before against Triway. And, uh, you know, I, I really think it's going to be the defensive side of the football. That, that decides this game you know we may see a lot of points but somebody's going to have to make a defensive stop and whether you know whether it's you know 7 nothing or 42-41 you know somebody's defense is going to make a play Friday night that that decides this. you know decides who wins this football game
0: absolutely another game that everyone will be keeping a close eye on we'll take a look at the rest of the federal league schedule here we have Lake Lake at Hoover this week. That's another nice uh, backyard rivalry game for both teams. And we also have McKinley at Glen Oak. Uh, McKinley looking to rebound from the loss last week, and Glen Oak has had some close calls this season, but injuries have just taken a toll on them right from the start. Yeah, you know, that
1: Lake-Hoover game is intriguing because you look at them, they're both 2-2, two and two. But they both are, you know. They both run into Perry and McKinley already. Uh, you know, Lake gets Gray Owens back last week. Uh, Ten carries, eighty yards. That's that's going to be big for them. You know, getting uh, you know getting back into. Uh, You know, maybe their offense back to the kind of balance and where they hoped it would be coming into the season. And then Hoover, you know, it's 21-21 there in the second half against Louisville last week. But Drew Robinson just, you know, you know, just uh, you know, two hundred plus yards rushing. You know, just gives everybody kind of talked about Connor Asby, and, and rightfully so with with the Vikings. But you know, Drew Robinson's a, a, you know a special player for them as well. And 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 you know, Hoover, he showed that for for Hoover last week
0: and uh, another non-league game that uh, we can talk about I do want to throw out Louisville at Central Catholic that's that's another fun game between some some close rivals there uh, the leopards probably the favorite in this one but still a, a lot of fun when you have this type of non-conference game involving local teams yeah you know these, these
1: are two teams I wonder you know they're different divisions but I wonder if they're not both they sort of suffer from the same problem. You know, their independence and a lot of schools, their general size, just don't want to play them. I mean, let's be honest. So they, you know, Central's already played New Philly, which is an an incredible team this year. Perry, we've we've talked about... You know Jackson's a division, a big Division One school. You know that that's their three losses, and you know they're a Division Six school playing those teams. And then you look at Louisville, you know playing a really good St. V team. You know is traditionally you know solid. Uh, Hoover last week, I know Hoover's a regular uh, you know rival for him, but you know still you know these. So I think these teams, you know, I'll be curious to see what they do once they get into the playoffs. And see, you know, how much, you know, maybe that even, you know, kind of balances things out for them, especially for a Louisville team that's, you know, has a new head coach, their third head coach in as many years, you know, as as they're, they're in their third year, you know, being an independent. What do you think about that?
0: I think they have the right guy, Troy Davis. Whenever you talk to him, he just has a natural charisma that you, you know, you, you listen to him to you listen to him talk and you kind of get fired up, you know. He just has this way with with words and with people, I think that's really special. Um, they lost basically everybody from last year's team. He was replacing a lot, and watching them, you can tell they're young at a lot of positions and learning at a lot of positions. But the one thing that struck me uh, watching Louisville is they generally, when they're on offense, they don't turn the ball over. Their issue this season, a lot of the times, has been special teams, where you know they've had bad punts out of their their. Own end zone or giving up big kick returns, but they're not making like the critical mistakes on offense you would expect from young and inexperienced players. They're not fumbling or throwing interceptions all over the place. They do a good job uh, taking care of the ball, and the defense is solid. If they get the the special teams nailed down, uh, going into the the playoffs, like you said, that that may not be a team you want to run into necessarily.
1: Oh. I know Washington, again, like you said, they've, they've changed, you know, they've had to transition through a lot of new new players this year. But, you know, it, it's Louisville. It's one of those programs that, you know, I've seen it, but we've all seen it for years. But, you know, there's always, you know, there's talent in that program. There, there's always talent in that program just about getting that talent, you know, out on the field and getting it, uh, getting it experience. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any doubts that, you know, there'll be a tough out once they get into the playoffs. And also too that, you know, Troy Davis being a former leopard himself is going to you know, do, do some good things, uh, over there with his alma mater.
0: Absolutely. He has a, you know, a major respect for tradition. Even before Coach Paul Starkey passed, he was going to wear a script L this season just in honor of him. So it's just little touches like that where you can tell he gets and understands the program. And then, like you say, Central Catholic is really playing up as far as their division and and their opponents. If they, you know, I don't know if I'm in Division Six that that's the team I want to draw in the first round.
1: It's going to be it's going to be interesting because this is, I would argue, since Jeff Smith took over before the 2014 season for Lou Kleinfelder, I would argue this has been. The most inexperienced, relatively inexperienced uh football team he's had and you know I mean er- obviously early on in, in you know the first three years he was there they were going to state title games and obviously winning state title winning a state title and you know even after that there were still some holdovers who had gone through that run but you now you're starting to get to you know this is a group of kids that they're trying to build their own their own legacy they 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 weren't part of of that run and you know they're trying to uh you know jack talkington's a sophomore and you know i i know uh jeff lindison had mentioned mason vance as a young man uh getting comfortable running the football riley campbell a kid on defense uh, Mike monostra another one. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of guys on this football team that are really getting their first in-depth, uh, significant, significant varsity experience this year. And, and, you know, there's growing pains, especially when you're playing that schedule that Central does. I mean, they're not afraid to play anybody, really, for the most part. Uh, and, and, and you, know, you know, as he said, you know, you, even in losses, losses aren't bad if you take something from it. And, you know, that's the thing he's hoping they take from the Jackson game. You know that He hopes that, you know, he thought they took a little step backwards and then turned into the fundamentals. They can learn from that, pick it up with Louisville and then uh, Aquinas next week. You know, again, that's a team that, you know, I would uh, I would think that uh you know they'll we'll, we'll see but you know if, if they've got some confidence going into the playoffs you know who knows what they could
0: do Yeah Jeff Linda Smith again I also want to mention one of the one of the great coaches to talk to in the area just a uh, really great guy I, I really like him as well so that's a uh, that's going to be a battle I think of a couple of really great coaches in addition to really great teams there
1: <laughs> yep yep i mean speaking of great battles we we'll talk about the one on uh you know on the eastern side of the county uh Tell me about these four and Camp South Wildcats because they, you know, they got the big one last week against Alliance and, and you know big one uh, this week against Marlington.
0: Absolutely, they're kind of going on. A, uh, they're writing some uh, some wrongs of the past here. They beat Alliance for the first time since 2014 last week. They haven't beat Marlington since 2008. They're hosting this game. They're undefeated in the conference, and it's a big game and the thing that struck me about watching Canton South last week is the resiliency they were down 12 nothing they had nothing going on offense in the first half and they came out and just blew the hinges off the game in the second half and Greg Reed is you talk I mean he makes great adjustments because they moved some things around and and really uh, came out and, and took care of business last week uh, Trent Chavers obviously is is the guy that's gonna get a lot of the headlines. He's their big running back. He's six foot three, 220 pounds. He uses every bit of it between the tackles, runner, not afraid to lower the shoulder. If you get he's just the kind of guy, the way I put it in my preview, he wears on a defense. It may not be breaking big runs. He averages about 4.8 yards per carry, but it's just you're always getting hit by just this huge guy, and by the time you get to the late 30s third, fourth quarter, and, you know, the Canton South's on a 14-15 play drive. I mean, how often do you want to keep running into this monster? (laughs) I want to ask, the last couple of years, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the South's really run
1: into a lot of bad luck, just, you know, injuries and, you know, tough losses and, and, and... how much how much as the program this year because you talk about you know the way they rallied last week, how much is the program sort of taken those lessons from the past and transferred them into this season when they found themselves in in moments like they did last week?
0: Uh, They've obviously applied a lot of it. Like I said, Greg Reed's a great coach, and they were very, very young the last couple years. A lot of them were freshmen and sophomores, and at times because of injuries starting, I know some of their key linemen were down. They're also a program that just because of the numbers at times isn't able to have a starter back at a key position for multiple years. And so it's kind of been – a revolving door at quarterback and the guys that get put at quarterback aren't necessarily quarterbacks in the past. It's been like, well, we're taking our best athlete and putting them there, whether, you know, so it's like, uh, it's been traditionally wide receivers or running backs being moved into that position just to try to get the best athlete, the ball, uh, Jack Snyder, who uh, ironically, uh, is is the quarterback because of an injury to to Gavin Moses? Is uh, is definitely. A really good quarterback. He does a great job of selling the play action. They've got Shamar Blackman on the outside, who I mean is just a speed demon. And the thing with South is they they do a good job of taking advantage of that play action because teams start loading the box to to take away you know Shavers and Holcomb and some of those other running backs. So they get these one on one matchups, and and Shamar Blackman was a key on a couple of those touchdowns because he'd catch a. 30yard pass just because he can he can shake a corner out of his boots and one-on-one and make them look you know pretty bad in uh, getting to the secondary and and then he's, he's tough to get from behind so uh, that's another thing to, to watch they just design things really well they generally don't commit turnovers the defense also and special teams forces a lot of turnovers they're very aggressive they like to swarm to the ball you can tell They've embraced that philosophy of every guy getting to the ball and helping out, whether it looks like the the player is down or not. I mean, they they play with a chip on their shoulder, and and they're pretty fun to watch. Pollington
1: well, uh, was able to play last week after you know missing that missing a week due to the the COVID outbreak at uh, the the COVID issue at the uh, at Kent Roosevelt. What did uh, what did Mark Bullitt say about the way uh,
0: the way they responded? Well, he got what he wanted last week. He had been talking about the last couple weeks. He wasn't happy with the run game. Uh, you talk about Nolan Hooker's one of the one of the better backs in the north in the Eastern Buckeye Conference. I almost did it. I almost called it the NBC, but uh, <laughs> but he had 200 yards going into the game on the season against Salem in two games. He had 250 last week and, and a couple touchdowns so he was really happy with the challenge that he threw out there to the to the line and they really picked it up and this is by by no means an easy win for canton south because you know you got isaiah harrison a six foot five left tackle You got nolan hooker back there at running back and then you start looking i mean connor Evanich. the only thing i mean mark goling told me he lacked in the preseason with starting experience he has been very, very good as a first-year starter. Six-foot three, you know, can make all the throws. And you got Rome Sims, who's averaging... His yards per catch is just ridiculous. He's got a couple hundred yards... I think he's got half their receiving yards. But I mean, he's just a big-time deep threat. He averages probably more than 20 yards a catch. And then you start throwing in guys like Cooper Scarlett, a, a great guy that uh, is catching passes for them. So Marlington is just a, a really, really good team. And I think this is this is going to be a great game. I, and uh, a lot's on the line, especially for Canton South. West Branch is not playing a league game this week. But if Canton South is able to win this game, they go to West Branch next week. They would be the only two unbeaten games in the conf- or unbeaten teams in the conference. So it sets up a de facto EBC championship game if Canton South is able to win this one. <laughs>
1: How much? How much is going through? You know, we always talk about the grind of going through tough, you know, tough games in a row. But how much is that maybe helping Camp South also? You know, especially as they get ready. You know, obviously they're only focusing on Marlington right now. But you know, you go Alliance, you go Marlington, then you go West Branch. You know, those are those are, are three pretty big programs uh, in that league.
0: I I kind of got the sense that last week was big for them not just watching it but also talking to coach Reed this week. I think they got into halftime. it'd been a long time since they beat Alliance and they kind of kind of realized, hey, we're we're able to play with this team, you know, they're not just coming out and taking it to us and once they kind of realized that and, and got over that mental block, they really took it to them. So I think last week you know, going into halftime down twelve, nothing having absolutely nothing going on either. You know, on either side of the ball, really, uh, to come out and then win twenty-nine, twenty, and force some big turnovers. I think that was a big moment for them, and should give them a lot of confidence going into the, into this one. I think the Alliance one was a big mental hurdle, and to get over that, I think was huge for them.
1: I mean, they're another team we talked about. Division four, Region thirteen, uh, South's another team in that region. So, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because you know, seeing in the Northwest, the Canton South, you know, teams that traditionally actually they were scheduled to play this year before the you know the schedules were condensed and then Fairless, You know, there's a lot of you know we we talk a lot about the Federal League and Nassau, and but in Louisville, but, you know, you look at, the, you know, some of the smaller schools, there's some uh, mid-sized to smaller schools. There's some league football being played in this area.
0: Absolutely, and you mentioned uh, some of the teams in that division and region. Any one of those would be fun to run across in the postseason. I think that'd be a lot of fun for everyone in the area, pretty exciting and, and draw a lot of interest. Yep,
1: Absolutely.
0: And then just a quick look at the rest of the EBC Alliance – uh, host Carrollton this week boy the Aviators are about the most snake-bitten team I've ever seen Chris I got a close look at them they led 12-0 last week Carrollton comes or Canton South excuse me comes out of the half goes on a 15 play drive cashes in a touchdown Alliance then fumbles the kickoff and bounces right to a Canton South player hits him in the chest on the run and all of a sudden Canton South has the lead and then they're off and running with it and late in the game. Alliance is down. You know, one possession or two possessions, but they force a fumble. It bounces right to a Canton South offensive player. It hits him in the chest. He walks right in untouched for a touchdown. Uh, Seth Whiting said uh, after the game was a little flabbergasted by those. He said, "You might not see a ball bounce right to a guy like that uh, once in a game, let alone twice in a row." So, I mean, they got talent. Brandon Alexander, a six foot three quarterback, one of the most. Impressive physical specimens. You'll see, he can run it. He can throw it well. They got Andrew Dats, a six foot two tight end, who has who does a really nice job of finding soft spots in the defense and making himself available for for good catches. Dylan Bagerra is a great deep threat and. And and then you have Caden Davis, the sophomore running back. It's like a streak of lightning. It's like he had 80 yards against Canton South in his first two carries. It's like if he gets, he makes one cut and it's it, you can't catch him. He's, he's I don't know. It, it's strange to look at that team at 0 and 4. That's all I can say. I just it it looks looks almost like they got some kind of curse on them at times.
1: Well, how how's uh, you know? You mentioned Seth uh, Whiting. Uh, how has he said? You know, because when you do come into season with expectations like Alliance did, you know, and, and you kind of run into this voodoo that's been struck that struck them this year. You know, how has he said the, the, the confidence and, and you know the the attitude on the program been? Because. It, it, sometimes it's easy when you kind of get the rug pulled out from underneath you. That you know, the the, the you lose confidence. You, you you kind of get down, and you know it starts to become as as the loss is now a challenge. How's that? Uh, how's that handled? How are they holding up under that?
0: Yeah, that's been an interesting thing. I know they've had some challenges with injuries. I know they've had to part ways with players in, in, in at least one case, and 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 then, but the one they they haven't given up though. That's not the sense I get because Brandon Alexander last week they were down twenty nine twelve. He he you know takes some eighty yards for a touchdown in the last two minutes. And the one thing Seth Whiting said is he was on the sidelines rallying the guys, telling them to go get the onside kick. We're not out of this yet. So I don't get the sense they've given up. I think that program's in place. I I think it's solid. And I think they have guys – that just aren't going to let them quit. I mean, Brandon Alexander is a senior and uh, Youngstown State recruit and definitely a really skilled guy. Braden Hartzow is another one of those senior leaders That's a was an all-state guy at, at linebacker last year. They have some guys that just aren't going to let them, you know, no matter – how things look or get that just aren't going to let them give up. I I don't get the sense that they've tossed in the towel. I I get the sense that uh, they were still fighting even down a couple touchdowns late last week and and were finding ways to still stay in the game.
1: You know, they're they're another team that I would imagine get to the playoffs and, 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 you know, see if you can't turn that luck around. You know, bounce here, bounce there in the playoffs – and you know, maybe you turn that you know, you know, winless starts of the regular season into you know into uh, you know a decent decent little run in the in the postseason.
0: Absolutely, and they're one of those teams that some years they like to play a difficult non-conference schedule. They will start zero and two, zero and three sometimes because they'll take on the Canfields, the Niles, or the, you know Bedford, or like this year. But with the you know the truncated season, it's a little harder to find your footing like that, and it kind of gets magnified a little more, I think. And uh, but that's still not a team I necessarily would want to play because, like you said, there is talent there. One of the things that's really hurt them is is the struggles in the red zone. Like, they could have gone up big on Canton South at the half. They had it down to the Canton South three-yard line with under a minute with a 12-0 lead. They ended up going backwards and turning it over on downs. Uh, They took uh, first and goal from the three to fourth and goal from the 11 and kind of turned it over. And I think that was the ninth time this season they've been inside the the opponent's 20-yard line and come out with no point. So that's kind of been another area to keep an eye on. If they could start cashing in on those opportunities, I mean they've been they were in the Marlington game, the Bedford game, and they were controlling the Canton South game. So yeah, they're they're just a couple plays away from really having a breakthrough. I think.
1: And again, like you know, for a lot of these teams, you know, I'm just going to be fascinated to see you know how much new life do you get. You know, you kind of look at the playoffs and say, hey, you know, it's there for us. So use the regular season to get yourself to the point where, you know, you get to the playoffs and and roll the dice, see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I think they've got uh, just the, kind of looking at the schedule coming up. Carrollton, by no means, is an, is an unwinnable game for Alliance. They should definitely uh, have an opportunity to uh, win that game. They're at Salem. The Quakers are are able to score points, but their defense has struggled. And then in that weird twist, there's some games scheduled in the league on October 16th, and they have one against Minerva that would be after the playoffs or post- postponed by the playoffs pending a win but the next couple of weeks they would have a, a pretty good opportunity to win they played you know what looks to be the uh, three of the best teams in the EBC this year in a row and Marlington West Branch and South so uh, this this may be a chance for them to build up a little bit of momentum
1: absolutely
0: well, Chris, I think we've covered most of the uh, major uh, major matchups in the area. Is there anything you'd like to add going into the weekend? No, other than it's
1: hard to believe uh, it's week five, and next week we're going to be talking about the things such as the 131st. Maslin McKinley game. It's it's uh, it just uh, it's unreal. It, it's surreal, and uh, but uh, it's real, and uh, uh, it's it just uh, again, it's amazing how this has all flown by so quickly.
0: And we're going to have a massive preview for that one. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to bring in Mike Popovich next week as well. We're going to we're going to hit you with a lot of different stuff. So be sure to keep an eye out for that cast as well. Obviously heavy on Maslin McKinley, one of the most storied rivalries in the nation, not just the Star County or Ohio.
1: Absolutely. And the earliest it's been played since 1909.
0: That is a great fact. Wow. I mean, if this year hasn't been weird enough, there it is. Something that hasn't happened in over 100 years. It's happening in 2020.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the FridayNightOhio.com podcast. For Maslin Independence, Chris Easterling. I'm Cliff Hickman from the Canton Repository, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.